Mr. Court Psyops. How are you doing today, sir? Doing excellent. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, man. I'm doing pretty well. I uh, caught that Christmas bug, and uh, I'm on the mend. But thanks for joining me today. Oh, absolutely not a problem. Actually, I'm honored that uh, I was able to be on the inaugural episode. I'm pretty stoked for that. Oh, yeah. Hopefully you're not on the, uh, the inaugural Lost episode, but I think I know what I'm doing here. Today, we are christening the Psychosemantic Podcast or the Psychosemanticast. Kind of see which one people hate the least. <laughs> and uh, we are starting with a movie that you chose, sir. Timothy Hutton is taking his story to the people. He asked the authorities for justice. You can't just walk in and see the mayor. Oh, Mr. Mayor, what about my brother? Hey, shut up. But they wouldn't listen. Turk is risking his life to make sure that this message is heard. Turn that TV off. I gotta have your ID now. Go get it. Now. They can't ignore it. From now on, you're personally responsible for this craziness. Shame you, this, this guy you is the same, it's the same thing? Yeah. You are immense. Well, Jimmy, you are definitely one of the good guys. I want this thing to disappear. Look at this guy. He's sticking it to him again. All of you are going to help me catch this so-called hero. He's bringing authority to its knees and the city to its feet. Timothy Hutton in Turk 182. This movie has always been HBO cable for me as a kid. <laughs> Where I grew up in the middle of nowhere, it was pretty much we had basic cable and HBO because if we didn't, we'd probably start doing the kind of stuff that ended up in horror films in uh, rural areas. Like, yeah. like if we'd be two steps away from Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the Appalachia. So I think we had cable to keep us from going crazy. It's all, I mean, once you've been on one mountain range, you, you get kind of a similar thing going with all of them. It just depends upon which one's the highest. But the Appalachia, <laughs> the Appalachia has the most... Uh, Let's just say the most horrible things that uh, are described going on in there because of, you know, running through West Virginia and what mm -hmm. they call pencil tucky for the Western <laughs> Pennsylvania. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's some creepy stuff. I backpacked about two weeks of that when I was 13. Uh, not by myself uh, with my mom and a bunch of her hippie friends, but <laughs> still, though, I mean, you know, it's a scary territory to go through, but mm -hmm. I. I I remember seeing Turk 182 a lot as a kid on on HBO. It was a staple. It was one of those ones where it played all the time. And the reason that I had actually gotten to see it uh, was because when I was a kid, this was one of the movies that my mom absolutely loved. She had a huge crush on Robert Ulrich or Urich or however you want to pronounce his last name. <laughs> So pretty much anything that had Robert Urich in it, like uh, I forget the TV show that he was in that he had where it was like a it was like an equalizer type show. Only it was him and another guy. I can't remember the oh, name of it off God. the top of my head. But uh, she was a Spencer for hire is what now nah, I just thought of it. Spencer for hire. She was oh. a big fan of him. So because of Spencer for hire. So she would watch a lot of his stuff, you know, or anything that he was in. And that's how I ended up seeing Turk 182, because anytime that was on HBO, she would want to watch it, too. 
And the movie left a very big impression on, on me as a kid. I think it's more poignant today than it was even in the 80s because what it's talking about is like just a, a citywide kind of political atmosphere and you know but it it fits so well with american politics really and when you said that mm-hmm. this was you know the subject of matter that for your podcast was going to be movies politics and political movies like the minute you said that turk 182 popped in my head and i'm like we got to talk about this yeah. that's why i suggested it because it fits perfectly because you could enjoy this as just a movie because it does have that drama it has that story of brotherly love and you know a guy just trying to do something to take care of his big brother who's taking care of him his whole life but at the same time the thing that he's doing to try and take care of his big brother involves a very heavy political message that involves Mm. all sorts of i mean it encompasses everything from health care to pensions to you know firefighter safety uh, (laughs) and a lot of those rules and regulations and all of that stuff so Oh, I mean, it's all there. It's very layered. I couldn't really think of a better better film to start with. I mean, I almost started with Dr. Strangelove. Do you want to save the, the big classics like Strangelove for when you've got your feet? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm still doing that myself where, like, Matt will suggest a film on our cast, and uh, I'll be like, not yet. Like, well, <laughs> how much better do we need to be at what we do before we can cover these movies? I'm like, not yet. Yeah, we're only going to do it once. Yeah, I was like, we're only going to severely screw up our coverage of this film once, so let's <laughs> let's save it for when we're better at it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. But, you know, there's, like, a, but when we get suggestions from people to say that kind of, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that, or, or what have you, that's when you end up starting to do those films. And Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've already got uh, somebody nibbled on it, and he's got the dibs, but uh, we haven't. <laughs> inked anything in the calendar yet i think since you were talking about you and we and matt and we're just getting to know you here i mean i'm not really (laughs) sure who is going to be listening this that doesn't know who you are but please (laughs) tell me who you are good sir (laughs) well i go by the handle court psyops people who are savvy enough will know that psyops is definitely not my last name it's my own particular turk 182 uh, I'm the host and proprietor of Cinema PsyOps Podcast. We've been going for coming up on two years now. Um, we started in August of 2015, so August of 2017 we'll hit our two-year mark. Nice. But this has been our second uh, calendar year that we've rounded out. Um, we just finished up actually recording our New Year's Eve episode just before we recorded here on this date. We're recording just towards the closing of 2016. Oh, cool. Yeah, and uh, well, you've been a guest on our podcast. You you did our series, the Bring Your Own Cinematic Trauma, when you talked about the gate with us. A hell of a good time. <laughs> yeah, it was totally a blast, and I think that kind of was. I, I I was like, dude, you you're more well prepared than Matt has ever been. You should be doing your own show. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's. I I think I put the bug in your ear on the recording where I was like, you should do this, man. You know? I, I I'm pretty sure you did. I know I listened to it a couple times to get my numbers up to. <laughs> Try to trick you into having me back. <laughs> All you had to do was ask. Jeez. <laughs> I had this drive where I wanted to get a bunch of different voices on and uh, get a bunch of different people in and, you know, get the show going that route because it wasn't so much that it got stale with Matt and I, but I didn't want it to be where it was just him and I every week. And I had put it out there to some people to see if we could do something different. And 
I, I kind of just the way that our show changes and the way that uh, these new series end up developing, it's more or less we try something. I come up with a weird idea or Matt will come up with a weird idea on air. And then we're like, hey, should we run with this? And then judging by people's responses, we do. And that's how we've ended up with our most recent one. Uh, our most recent series we're doing now is leading up to, I, I think initially I called it in preparation for a Trump presidency, which is mm-hmm. way too long and kind of pretentious. So I just shortened it, which is now uh, pre-pocalypse prep is the name of it. And it, which is also a pretentious name, but it is me. That's that's how I, I roll, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot catchier. Yeah, it's a little easier. It rolls off the tongue a little bit better. But the idea is we're covering post-apocalyptic films or just that kind of uh, atmosphere or story or like uh, after. Like, for instance, we just covered Rollerball not too long ago. That was our Christmas episode. And even though Rollerball is not technically an apocalypse, it is after governments fall and there's a dramatic societal change and corporations take over. And it does have a bit of a political slant. And because it was sparked by the fear being in the room for Matt and I both <laughs> like uh, Edward Murrow. I, I believe the reporter's name was, that's one of the speeches that he gave that oh, I, yeah. I speak about it quite often. I mean, that's whenever it was the McCarthyism trials that were going on. And uh, you know, the McCarthy was just doing this communist witch hunts. One of the things that he, one of the things that Murrow said whenever they were getting ready to take him on was, you know, he asked all of the guys, in the room that he was working with all the people that were on his news crew, like if they had anything that could possibly be used against them in their past. And then when they all did, they all had a certain thing that could possibly have ties to communism that McCarthy could use possibly Mm -hmm. against them. That's one of the things that he said. He's like, look, we're doing this now and we're doing it because the fear is in this room. And that was something that uh, we brought up when we covered punishment park on the pre apocalypse prep series that, the reason that I started it initially was, you know, it was kind of more or less this tongue in cheek. Let's have some fun and just try and alleviate our, our feelings of fear for what's happening for our president elect coming in. And then it ended up developing pretty much by the time we covered punishment park, it ended up being this thing where it's like, you know what? Uh, these post-apocalyptic movies have more of a message to them than what we thought. And we kind of, turned into more of a political cast than what I intended us to be with this series. But, uh, the, the times are fitting Uh (laughs) what's going on with these movies. And that's the strange thing is it's like, you go back to some of these movies, even like Turk 182 and it, it fits more now than it may have ever had in the past, you know, when they were amping up and being hyperbolic about what may have been going on in politics. Now, I'm sure New York City was every bit as messed up in the 80s as what they display it in this show. That was one... Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, oh, go right ahead. I, I paused for you to, oh. <laughs> to speak. Well, well, thank you. Uh, that was one of the things that I uh, dug up when I was looking into this movie. Did you see the thing about Taki or Taki 183? Yeah, that it, there, it was based on an actual graffiti artist who was doing something similar, not for the same reasons, but right. I, I am aware of that, yeah. I'm so bad at pronouncing Greek, but I think his last name was Dimitraki, and he shortened it to Taki, and 183 was his street address, and he would just start tagging um, when he was walking around, it's claimed as being one of the things that spurred competitive tagging in New York City, which is something you see 
especially when I go closer to the campus area here in Columbus, uh, there's a lot of competitive and back and forth tagging going around still. Yeah, it, it's kind of one of those things, too, where it's not necessarily a sign of disrespect for each other, but also kind of a, hey, I was here and I crossed out your stuff. And, you know, are you going to come back and get me? And like some the, of it's in, in, it's in good, uh, all in good fun for the graffiti artists. I don't think it's really necessarily a, you know, a, a territorial pissing, if you will. It's more or less just like one upmanship and having fun with each other. I, yeah, I'd like to think of it more like, you know, bringing it back towards more of our wheelhouses and, you know, the Sam Raimi, Wes Craven, <laughs> Steven Spielberg thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, the poster ripping in, uh, <laughs> what was it, uh, Hills Have Eyes that, of Jaws, mm-hmm. where they were, where Wes Craven was saying that he was he was the new horror, if you will, and then Sam Raimi and crew picking up on it and having the Hills Have Eyes poster ripped in half in the basement in Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. And then Wes Craven noticing that and being like, oh, okay, and then winking back to Evil Dead with Nightmare on Elm Street. And <laughs> and then in Evil Dead 2, I think they even kind of made another wink back at Wes Craven. And Wes has done other winks as well, and that's still going. Like, even in uh, Ash versus Evil Dead in the basement at one point uh, in the series, when Ash is down there, there's a Freddy glove nailed to the wall. I it's thought, a real quick cut, that. but it's there. So. <laughs> Yeah, I would hope that it would be something like that where it's good nature, just sort of a back and forth winking at each other. But there may be some more hostile daggers. I, I don't know enough about graffiti artists to really state that. Yeah, I mean, it, it can get I, I knew a lot of uh, tagger kids when I was growing up because, you know, I hung out with a lot of the skaters and I skateboarded for a while. And a lot of that goes hand in hand. But uh, for the most part, people are just trying to do something fun. Sort of rebellious, sort of like uh, our hero here in Turk 182. Well, I think what's really what it really sparks Jimmy isn't uh, isn't really more or less this need for the attention or anything. It's it's more or less vengeance that he gets the idea from, and he's he himself is not even really political. He doesn't care about the mayor. What he cares no. about is that the mayor disrespected Terry and wouldn't even listen to the story or try and help Terry and basically called him a drunk on TV. I mean, that's what sparks Jimmy and and drives him to do what he does. Listen to me, young man. This city is filled with people in trouble, people who deserve a break, people who have earned what they're asking for, and it's all we can manage to get the help to them that they need. Well, you, well, right. Well, you that's, that's exactly what here. Terry deserves. Now, I mean, wait a minute. more Listen, than anybody. You, my brother, you that's come, my brother. You come waltzing in here with a sob story about a drunk? Yeah. Wait a minute, he ain't no drunk. My brother right. is not a drunk. Right. You go home, not... and you take a shower, and you comb your hair, and you think about it. Let him go. That's my whole personal philosophy could really, for as far as politics goes, could really be summed up with Elvis's don't step on my blue suede shoes. You know? <laughs> like, and, and in, the, in the case of what I'm trying to get at here is my blue suede shoes is my own personal freedoms, you know? Mm. Don't try and squash those. Don't try and step on somebody else's blue suede shoes. And... If you want to be this profiteering, you know, warmonger, okay, you know, but you're still going to be hurting somebody else and messing with their personal freedoms. What what it comes down to is like, you know, I'm more about the civil rights side of things, which is why I was never really that political until this most recent election galvanized <laughs> me. Because when I, I, I spent all this time thinking, hey, man, it looks like the world's getting better. I mean, you know, gay marriage gets upheld by the Supreme Court and uh, you know, right. like it looks it, it looks like we're starting to move in a direction where 
I hate the term political correctness. I think there was a meme I saw on Facebook that summed it up perfectly, where if you had a filter that replaced the term political correctness with treating other people with respect, <laughs> yeah, it really makes it hard to demonize the idea of political correctness. And I think that's really what it should be. Mm-hmm. And when you're trying to take away somebody's ability just to be a human being and just have a normal life and you're trying to deter them from being able to better themselves just for whatever reason because they don't have the same sexual orientation or faith or even skin pigment for Christ's sakes I mean that's yeah. the that's the stuff that irks me and that's one of the things that the movie Turk 182 resonated with me here was you know there's a, a guy who was just trying to do his job and yes Terry had had a few drinks and was pretty inebriated but he wasn't like falling down drunk he just had a good buzz on and was having a good time trying to blow off some steam and there was a little girl that was in trouble and he went to go save her in a fire and he ended up getting hurt kind of through the negligence of the fire department of new york i mean if he was a regular guy in the building doing this Mm -hmm. and got blasted out of that window he had cause to sue the city yeah he wouldn't have been having trouble with his medical bills no, and it's because he had been drinking and because of the rules, obviously, for public safety that a firefighter who is off-duty should not be going into a building, first of all, and also who has been drinking. But if he were living in that building, I think it would be a different thing. It's just Terry being the hero, trying to do the right thing because that's who he is, and that's how he ended up getting hurt. And I, I think he still had just cause to sue the firemen that basically blasted him and the kid out the window with a fire hose Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know but i you almost want to think that like terry wouldn't do that because he knows these are two good guys that didn't deserve that they don't deserve to be having their names as firemen dragged through the mud because of a mistake so he's trying to go through the different channels and that's where he's getting screwed over not only by the city but you know the the pension for the firefighters and everything because of the choices that he made and he almost refuses to go the other route because that's not who he is. U.S. politics has always been pretty much about money from as far back as I can recall to, let's say, the 70s and the 60s. If you see it, you know, you can tell by the culture in the movies and, you know, reading Hunter S. Thompson, let's face Hmm. it, that's the whole reason Nixon was put into office is to be a figurehead for that sort of thing. Right. (laughs) You know, so you kind of get this feeling that Things were coming to a head about the time that this movie came into place where a lot of these politicians were starting to get called on their stuff in the Reagan era where people were starting to realize that trickle down was shit. Mm-hmm. No one is no one is being helped by this. By doing tax cuts to the wealthiest, all you're doing is basically furthering the plutocracy. You're you're not yeah. you're not helping the common man. And the thing that really resonates with me too for this movie is the the politicians in particular. Uh, Tyler, the the mayor, mm-hmm. he, his whole entire campaign that he's trying to do this whole polish the apple thing is artifice. He's not even doing anything to affect any real change. Yes, yeah, all he, superficial election yeah. cycle bullshit. Yeah, like, okay, so you put a big giant golden apple in a park to announce that you're going to be cleaning up the city, but his definition of cleaning up the city, the things that he tries to do, mm-hmm. a graffiti a graffiti proof chain. Uh, you know the for the subway that can't be spray painted because of a special bonding agent what is the, what does that do to improve anyone's lives or clean up the city really it's it, just artifice that's it, it helps you forget about the poor <laughs> right right it makes it easier for the people who are slumming it to take the train 
you know, <laughs> they can't afford their driver to take them into the city or, or whatever. It doesn't help the common man at all. It doesn't clean up the city. It doesn't make it any safer. And you can talk about the broken window theory, but really, <laughs> I don't think that a graffiti-less train is going to stop somebody from being mugged or raped in the subways. <laughs> no. You know? And uh, okay, so that was that was one of the other things that he did, and uh, he has some other other you know campaign stops and stuff that Turk does, you know, that Jimmy does as Turk and, and, and interferes with. But that first one, like you know, the the spray paint proof subway train. I mean, come <laughs> on. Could it be any more superficial? Uh, and they weren't even riding it. They were waiting for the train to come to where they are so he could do a speech. Right. So he could just play this new, beautiful, graffiti-proof train. And I just love the way that it's like he does it in 11 minutes or so. I think they timed it and they had a man do it in 11 minutes with a portable sandblaster. Mm-hmm. And that, a lot of what uh, a lot of what Jimmy does is like social engineering, you know, like to use like a hacker term. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he finds a way to basically use people's uh, preconceived notions about how things should run kind of against them, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first thing that he does isn't even really as Turk. It's more or less just out of frustration where he does his bit with uh, the mayor's office and all of Jimmy's, or uh, I'm sorry, with Terry's letters where the people are saying, oh, yeah, you you know, you were drinking and all the stuff for the pension board is basically refusing his request for money to help pay for his medical costs. And that was probably the dumbest thing that he could have done. But obviously mm-hmm. he's doing it out of anger. But it pretty much marks his brother because, I mean, his name's all over everything and even his addresses are, too. And did you notice, uh, is it just me or was Peter Boyle's character just supposed to be a fascist pig kind of cop? I mean, like, that's all he was, right? Like, he was yeah. just supposed he was supposed to be the worst kind of, like, lackey you could possibly have underling. I mean, like, he even beats up Terry in the bar in front of everybody. <laughs> What's your problem? My name is Lynch. Got no problem. If your name is Terence Lynch, you got a big problem. You think you're an artist? Artist? Me? I said back off. Come on, make one more move, and you're gonna be the sorriest myth that ever chewed on a potato. Jesus Christ, leave the guy alone. He just got out of the hospital. Yeah, he's going back to the hospital. For no reason, like him and the other police just beat on Terry just because. Yeah. And when he gets when he gets sent there too, like the the mayor basically says, make an example out of him. Mm-hmm. So you kind of wonder whenever Terry was in the in police custody and he attempts to commit suicide, did he really attempt marks. it? Yeah, <laughs> did, did he attempt it or did they throw him off the fucking roof and he's just too defeated to say anything about it? Like you don't really know. Clearly, I, they didn't try yeah. to stop him. They didn't try to stop him, but I feel more like it was. Uh, on the rooftop and Shawshank Redemption kind of thing. Yeah, but Terry was like, you know what? Fuck it. I can't do what I want to do with my life anyway, so I might as well just be dead. Yeah. You know, you kind of kind of get that feeling that maybe that's the route that Terry was going to go. I don't know, but <laughs> I, that when, watching it as a kid, I never got that idea that that might have been, you know, engineered by the cops to get away with what they wanted to do. I never thought that that was actually the case. It wasn't until watching it now for the show that I was like, holy shit, did they throw Terry off the roof? I think they threw Terry off the roof. (laughs) That's one of the things I like about movies and stuff like that is there's so many different layers. You know, like when I was 10, I didn't notice the open oven and the duct tape on the door and Night of the Creeps. You know, (laughs) Right. Yeah, you never do. 
but you do now. <laughs> yeah, you know, as you get older, you're like, holy shit. But yeah, you know, Terry, Terry kind of seems like, well, I mean, when did Jimmy, when he was going off on Kim Cattrall, say their parents died when? Oh, it was before, it was uh, Terry's mother, and Terry and Jimmy's mother, I think, drank herself to death. And I think it was shortly after Jimmy was born. Okay. So I don't think I don't think that Jimmy really ever even knew his mother or it was when he was very, very little. It's part of what makes Jimmy as angry as what he is. Right. It's and uh, Terry's his parents. <laughs> right. And Terry's father, I think also he, I think Terry's father ended up succumbing to depression and took his own life. I believe uh, so. At a very young age when probably Terry was even maybe too young to even take care of Jimmy. But Jimmy has been raised by Terry ever since. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. and so Terry is pretty much the only real parent that Jimmy has ever known. And you can really, that scene where he's, he's not yelling at Kim Cattrall. He's, he's not yelling at, yelling at her board, right? He's yelling at every single person that he's come across before and all, every single bureaucrat, because at that moment with her clipboard, she's like every other bureaucrat. And obviously her being this, well, well, she was like a student at the time, right? She wasn't even really like a full fledged, social worker this was like her first case to kind of get her accustomed to the type of work that she would be doing i think she's Plus, either masters or phd right so she is probably a student and she's coming up on graduating and getting ready to enter into this field uh, or if she hasn't just graduated and this is her first assignment but literally she is as greenhorn as you can get for this type of work i don't think she was prepared for the type of emotional outrage that she was going to receive from someone like Jimmy. And I think she had a very rude awakening to how she was going to approach things and how life is for these people that she's going to be helping. And, you know, I think that's something that you could see pretty much anywhere with this type of thing. I mean, Terry's been hurt once through, and I don't want to say that it's a hundred percent negligence on the firefighters part, right. but, they just kick open the door and start spraying without checking it first. And I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. I mean, I've never been a firefighter and I don't mean to disparage any firefighter because that's the type of work that is yeah. so vital to our society. But I just, it just seems like the way that they did it where they just kick open the door and start spraying, they should have checked to see if anybody was in there. Well, cause that's they how... were looking for that kid too. So right. <laughs> that could have just been the kid going. Psh. Right. And, of course, accidents happen, and, of course, we're all human beings, and people make mistakes, but, I mean, so, but it was kind of, it's their fault that Terry got hurt, whether it was accidental or negligence or just whatever, it's their fault Terry got hurt the first time, which drives him to being suicidal because he can't, he feels useless because he can't save lives anymore, he can't be a fireman, he can't do what he needs to do. And there's a really dramatic scene, too, where he's confronting uh, Jimmy about the problem, where Jimmy's just trying to keep his big brother going and the, you know, things are going to get better. We're going to get there. You just have to be patient. And he's yelling at him about, you know, don't tell me that you, you're not living where I'm living. Mm -hmm. He talks about how the medication that he's on makes him feel like he's wrapped up in cellophane. Yeah. And that, like he can't, he, he, he basically, it just numbs him completely. And it makes him like, not, not only just numb, but like just dissociative from the rest of the world where he just doesn't feel like he's a part of it anymore. He can't use his hands. He's probably never going to be a fireman. The, the core of his being, you know, because you could tell it from the very start, even though his job was stressful and it took a toll on him emotionally, the doing the work, you know, saving the lives is what was more important to him than anything else. And taking that away from him took away the 
core of his being. And he yeah. starts talking, you know, about being suicidal, but you just don't really know what happens when he's in police custody. And so when he gets injured in police custody, even though he may have jumped, the police are on the hook for someone being injured on their watch. I mean, yeah. they have to take care of him. Like if, if someone tries to commit suicide in a prison system, the prison system is on the hook for that person's medical bills to bring them <laughs> back to hell. Yeah. <laughs> And so he's in like a secured ward, right? Like for the rest of the movie, like his he's when he's in the body cast and everything, he's in a secured ward. Yeah, he's in there. Sorry. Uh, I was going to say, and they're basically saying, well, even though, you know, the state's on the hook for this or the city, you know, we need more money to be able to give him the, the therapy that he needs. He needs a private facility, which mm-hmm. is, you know, Jimmy saying, yeah, you mean more money. <laughs> yep. Yep. And he's walking around. Uh, the first time I saw this, I was kind of tired, and I was like, "Why is he? Is he? Are they making him suck the brain fluid out of his head?" <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that was like a stress relieving device, just something to do something silly, and you know, mm-hmm. give him, give him, you know, like uh, maybe just a way to indicate, "Hey, this hurts. I need to stop by blowing on that," or maybe it's just a way to alleviate his, his pain and his stress by having that, like a, like an almost stress ball or whatever, but. I had never to this to the day that I'd seen the film, I had never seen those like that little headdress thing that you blow into and the the antennae pop out. Mm-hmm. I've ne- I've never seen anything before this movie, and I've never seen that anywhere since. So <laughs> I don't know what that is or where it came from. I mean, I'm I'm just everything that I don't understand that looks painful. I'm blaming on Peter Boyle. <laughs> That's probably a good philosophy in life in general. Just blame it on Peter Boyle. <laughs> yeah, blame it on Peter Boyle, and uh, President or Principal Strickland. He might have had something to do with it. Yeah, that was really funny to see him, even as a kid watching this. After being obsessed with uh, Back to the Future for so long, you see Principal Strickland, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> that guy just plays. He plays like a bureaucratic ass, no matter or what. You yeah. always see him as that. He's like." Uh, <laughs> The William Zabka of uh, authority <laughs> figures. This is what William Zabka's character does after the Karate Kid. He becomes <laughs> a civil servant that is only, you know, a part of a money-grubbing power <laughs> you know, administration that allows a councilman to just fly off. And you even hear it earlier in the film, the whole Zimmerman flew and Tyler knew. Tyler fully admits to it in a cut scene right after that happens. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, you see, even to, he knows where he went. He knows that he went to Brazil. He even says that. So, like, everything that people are saying about Zimmerman flew and Tyler knew, it's 100% accurate. It's true. He did know, and he didn't do anything to stop it. Yeah, and he just keeps talking about it, keeps saying anything he wants. Oh, this is sounding really familiar. Um, Again, why I picked the film. <laughs> <laughs> well, I figured out I can record in my basement, so I'll be able to keep recording from the bomb shelter. <laughs> At least you have one. I actually, uh, in all seriousness, I actually started pricing them out. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I wonder how much it would cost to put one in because <laughs> it's just yeah, me and my wife. So, well, yeah, like I said, I did a little research. I did. A, I did look at them a little bit here. It was more tongue in cheek because mm-hmm. where I'm located at, uh, you know, in Omaha, it's right next to a very large off of, like Air Force base is right by us. And I'm pretty sure that I'd be in the blast radius to where even with a bomb shelter, there would be no hope. Mm. <laughs> so I have that to look forward to. I'm imminent <laughs> death no matter what. So I got that going for me. 
<laughs> yeah, and then I'll have total uh, total consciousness on my deathbed. <laughs> <laughs> We're not talking about that movie, though. No, <clears throat> not here, not right now. But um, did, did you want to actually get into all the the various graffiti things that he does to take on Tyler? Or I think I think we should because I mean that's basically the movie. I know we wanted to talk about the movie a little bit, but it's mostly a vehicle to just let the conversation flow about what the movie's talking about. But okay. Yeah. The, yeah. The, you know, the acts of graffiti, the acts of rebellion, the embarrassments or what well, that's, this that's is the about. biggest, that's the biggest way to take on a politician and drag them down is to, I mean, a politician has no claim to their own public persona. They can try and steer it. They can try and control it. But in all reality, they cannot stop the media from how they are reported on. And they cannot stop how the public perceives them. They can only try and do spin and damage control and try and make it look like things are the way that they say they are. And when you have someone, this is another reason why I picked this. So we'll get to that. But (laughs) the reason that what Jimmy is doing as Turk is so effective is because he is undercutting and exposing this bullshit artifice for the for Tyler's campaign. But we already talked. Well, the very first thing that he does, the the office is just pure rage and wasn't really thought out, and it was just a way to get back at the mayor and scare him. Right, and say, hey, look at this. This All is everything that we've yeah. been dealing with with my brother and and his injuries, and you cannot ignore him. And Terry Lynch ain't no drunk, you know. That's what he was <laughs> trying to get across. Ross, but He's not it doesn't work. <laughs> right. And so he, he gets even more inflamed and impassioned uh, after the whole thing with Kim Cattrall, and he decides he's going to go confront the mayor again because he's he's angry and he's, he's passionate about trying to protect and take care of his brother. And so he goes down to another rally, and that's where you see that unveiling of the apple for the polish the apple. Mm-hmm. And it's a golden apple, and someone else that was very political took the time to hand paint Zimmerman flu and Tyler new on the apple and embarrass our mayor here. And that's what springs Jimmy off. That's what actually gets him the idea of, Oh, if I want to hurt this guy, I need to do this. I need to publicly embarrass him at every turn and undercut his whole entire political career and all of his rallies and anything that he tries to do I need to find a way to make him look ridiculous and I need to take away his control of his own public image yeah otherwise he's untouchable right and that's that's the beauty of it is while politicians may be super strong their public image and how people perceive them they really have no control over and it is their Achilles heel and I'm not saying that lightly and I'm not mincing words that is a thinly veiled thing to say to the public about our current political state. <laughs> if you can control how people perceive your politicians that you have to deal with, whether you want them there or not, you can control how politics actually work. A cooperative well, if, effort. Yeah, cooperative and if effort. And if you do it if you do it right, all it takes is one person. I mean, what Jimmy Lynch is doing to take on the, the mayor, he's undercutting everything at every single political stop and he's following him around. And this is easier for him to do because it's in the same city. Mm-hmm. Obviously, on a nationwide thing, you couldn't do this. One man couldn't take on like a president or a congressman, even, I don't think. But And yeah. obviously, this is, this is a fantasy realm. But 
Tyler also is a very thin-skinned politician who takes everything extremely personally. And, you know, <laughs> the very first thing that Jimmy does with the train, his reaction <laughs> is, oh, shit. And he just storms off. He doesn't try to spin it. He doesn't deal with it. He just runs with his tail between his legs and hides. And, and then tries his stormtroopers. Right. He sends off his fascist cop and Peter Boyle and all of his guys to go try and find this guy. Uh, the next one that Jimmy does, uh, I can't really recall off the top of my head right after the train. I think we have the montage there, is it not? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so he's... I, I can remember some of them. I know he paints one of the... Uh, like a, a police horse's ass. He paints Tur Turk 182 on. Yeah. He does, he does like a famous courthouse building. Um, I can't remember a lot of them in the montage. Do you have any of them written down? There was the uh, the Skyrider. Oh, that's a perfect one. Yeah, I love that one. Go, <laughs> you can go ahead and describe that. Go, go. That was genius. I, I mean, it was. I, he may have created memes, but I don't want to <laughs> go that far. Um, <clears throat> so he shows up in like a 1940s Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade motorcycle with a sidecar that he just has throughout the movie. Um, What's his main vehicle, which is perfect for a city environment. And he he just switches. I, I have no idea. I mean, he's a smart guy. He was goofing off at his job interview thing at the beginning about how he's overqualified and all that <laughs> stuff. But, you know, he he's a pretty creative guy. Um, so he just switches whatever the advertisement was going to be to the the slogan you see throughout. Zimmerman flew. Tyler knew. Turk 182. Yeah, he makes sure that he tags it. That's the important thing is that he always tags it with Turk 182. That has to be there. Yeah. So that's it's like another personal jab that you know that that uh, Tyler and his crew cannot stop this one guy or this entity that is 180 Turk 182. They don't know for sure who if it's one person or not, even though we do. I think they talk I, about that in the newsreel too about how it could be many. Yeah, and that's one of the things that the police are, they have the different theories of, is it uh, a group of people, and they even make the joke as if there's more than one, are they turkeys, you know, <laughs> as they're trying to pull off steam. And that's another thing the movie actually does pretty well. When you see the police side of things, not all of the policemen strike me as this, you know, fascist regime that is working underneath Tyler. Mm -hmm. There's a handful of guys that he has and like their cronyism that that happens. But like Darren McGavin and some of the other police officers, more or less, they need to find out this guy and they, they need to they need to find him and they need to stop what he's doing because there is some, you know, I mean, like the worst they can really do is what destruction of public property or destruction of private property. You yeah. know, they don't really they don't really have a lot that they can do to to, you know, trump up charges on him or anything. But they still have a task force because he's going after the mayor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so you have Darren McGavin's character who I think he said that he dealt with like serial killers or sociopaths or something along those lines. Like he's been finding people who are, you know, serial criminals in some way, shape or form. That's his expertise. So yeah, higher crimes. How, yeah. How much are they wasting? Like how much money are they wasting on one guy who is embarrassing one mayor? Well, I mean, how <laughs> much money is the mayor wasting on his frivolous cosmetic improvements. Right. I, I guess that's like a big comment about the whole wasteful government thing. And they can't oh, yeah. pay this one guy's fucking medical bills. Right. There, that's, I mean, that's the crux of it right now with, I mean, we're seeing that in our country with this wasteful spending for 
military wars that, you know, help us get more oil out of a country that we should really not be in. Mm-hmm. You know, we all of this stuff that our government wastes money on, and yet social improvement programs and giving someone a help up when they actually need it, which is a minuscule amount of the budget. I mean, it's absolutely nothing. If you actually look at a pie chart of what the spending is for the social programs, like Ew. a welfare or a Medicaid or a Medicare or Social Security, it is minuscule. And yet they make it sound like it's such a burden on everyone just because they want to privatize it and make it to where they can give industry more money that way. Yeah, it's, it's a burden on themselves. Yeah, it's a plutocracy. <clears throat> and it's it's just... <laughs> It's all about how they can make money flow upwards and never let it come back down to the people. You know, yeah. that's 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 all it really is. And <laughs> you you see it in the movie a little bit. You kind of get that that inclination that that's what's happening, but it resonates so much with today's society that we're seeing with our with our Congress and everything that they're trying to belittle the average show who can't get a leg up in a society where inflation has crippled us to the point where even uh, a living wage is not had for minimum wage. You can't really do anything with minimum wage and you can't even afford health benefits. I mean, you may not be the most well-educated person in the world. If all you can, like all you can actually do is a minimum wage job, like a a McDonald's or, or something along those lines. But you have to be tough if that's what you're surviving on. There's no other way you could do it. You have to be tough. Yeah. I just, because the way, I mean, just even like if you look at a bank teller's salary, even in the 80s versus nowadays, the way that inflation has worked, you could have afforded a house back then mm-hmm. on just one person's salary. You could have afforded a nice car, even if it was a used car that you bought or, or what have you. People could afford to have things, even in the era of trickle down economics. And inflation has gotten to the point now where the money, where it's flowing uphill with the 1% and the way that they're able to, to maintain it, they're not going to give up any of their dividends just so some other folk can make ends meet yeah. unless they can make further money off of you. And that's where <laughs> you get the, the, the loans that have ridiculous interest rates and the housing bubble and everything that got us where we were for our first recession <laughs> that, that Obama ended up helping solve with everybody in Congress fighting against him. You know, yeah, <laughs> and we're about to we're about to face it all again. And the healthcare stuff that they tried to solve that got hacked and butchered because of the special interest from the insurance companies. Let's not mince words there. That's that's part of the healthcare thing that we're seeing with what's going on with Terry's character. I mean, you can't, you know, you you can't say that what's happening to Terry would have been resolved with better insurance coverage because they would have dropped him after the first injury to not have to pay out. They do it all the time. They find reasons for it. Mm-hmm. And that's why his pension wasn't taking care of him when it should have, you know, that's another thing that they're just, you know, if you're going to cost them money, if you're not going to let them be in the black, if you're going to take back some of their dividends, they're going to make sure they find a way to keep you from being able to get it. That's just how it's going to be. And I'm pretty sure it's on most insurance companies' lists that being blasted out of a third-story window by a fire hose is a pre-existing condition. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if it was buried somewhere underneath all of those things that you have to agree to. <laughs> it, it might actually be on that thing that Apple has you signed to be able to get the next version of iTunes, too. You never know. But it's there. I mean, that's kind of part of what we're we're dealing with in our society today, and just to kind of get back to the, the stuff that we were talking about here, at the we, we have the airplane as part of that montage. 
The next big thing is at the football game. And mm. I absolutely love this one. Uh, Paul Servino. Not even not even playing somebody else. They have him on there as Paul Servino. They even introduce him as the famous New York actor, Paul Servino. <laughs> <laughs> I think he might have had first billing in this movie. He was probably the biggest star that was in the film at the time, yeah. This particular prank that Turk did actually did have a special place in my heart, though, because they had to do some computer... <laughs> generated imagery and he had to go he had to go to his uh it, the guy was a hacker let's let's not mince words that's what Giacomo he was. yeah Giacomo that guy had to have been a hacker he had to have been you know the, the inspiration for war games or something I don't know but that's it seems to be what he was you know yeah and he cre- he creates this new message for Jimmy and they even wire it in I don't know if Jimmy wires it in himself or if Giacomo helps him do it but they wire it into the well, you would call it a Trinitron now, but it was one of those like uh, TV unit things where they program in the displays. And it was mm. during this really, really politically slanted uh, question and answer time thing that just makes you sick, uh, which it makes sense if that's what the the mayor sponsored or the, the governor sponsored. But it's like, you know, which governor cut the most taxes in the state and all of New York for X amount of time. And now it's the current governor. You know, what did Tyler do? He created 70,000 jobs or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then then Turk's message plays where it's one last question, Mr. Mayor, who flew? <laughs> <laughs> Tyler flew, that's who? Uh, or, or Zimmerman flew, that's who? <laughs> you know, Turk 182. And the you can hear the entire stadium goes crazy. And mm-hmm. that's the tipping point. You know, especially when Kim Cattrall's character, who is the social worker who goes with them, She's been friends with Jimmy and she likes Jimmy, but whenever she sees what this Turk guy is doing and, and the, the political slant, and when she thinks it's more of a political slant and why it's happening, even she goes nuts and she's totally in love with this Turk guy. And I mean, the whole entire stadium goes crazy. And even the governor is like, you know, I'm three points behind in the polls. He thinks that this embarrassing situation is going to hurt his political career as well. I don't need I think this th- shit. Yeah, this is a tipping point, right? Yeah. I I don't know how many people fit in. Uh, I thought they were at a Jets game. I thought that's what he said when he's just like, hey, here's an umbrella I stole. We're going to go to a football game later. Right. Well, it's uh, it's the the major, whatever the major sports team is for New York. I'm not a sports ball guy. Mm-hmm. I'm Matt, if Matt ever hears this, he'll probably kick me and be like, it wasn't the Jets, <laughs> you jerk. But whatever it was, it was a it was a capacity crowd, as they like to say in pro wrestling. Yeah. I mean, the whole stadium was packed. So whatever it was, everyone in that stadium saw it. And then if it's televised and they televise this segment, which more than likely the politicians were want to do, mm-hmm. then, of course, everyone in the state that would be watching it and elsewhere also saw this. So this is the, the full tipping point. Of not not only the story, but also of what Jimmy does to hurt the mayor and embarrass him. Yeah, from Giacomo. That did you notice that Giacomo was wearing a different Ivy League shirt every time he was on screen? I noticed the MIT one, but I didn't notice that he actually had a different one. <laughs> yeah, I think when he goes, when he's introduced to us at his uh, pawn shop or whatever that place is. He's wearing a Harvard shirt, and then he's got MIT and Stanford. <laughs> you know, Giacomo seemed like he was a pretty sharp guy, and it more or less like the place that he was working at might have been family-owned, and that's why he's still there. Mm-hmm. 
After you know, he got his he's... three PhDs. <laughs> yeah, in various schools. Like, I wouldn't put it past Giacomo to be able to do this because they do establish with his early 80s computer game graphics that he's able to program. You know, like, like for the time, that was some pretty impressive stuff, even if it wasn't real. Like, if he was able to do something approximate of that by himself, that was extremely impressive for the time. So I would, oh, yeah. I would, I, maybe he did attend all three Ivy League schools. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, he's he reminds me of uh, from the shameless uh, in the U.S. the the kid Lip, mm. who is like this you know super smart, but he's from the neighborhood, so he wants to you know kind of remain true to who he is in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. even though he's like this genius. That's that's who Giacomo seems to be, is that kind of guy to me. But yeah, so he did the hacking, and he yeah he's you know the. The dark hero. There's going to be a scene coming up shortly after this where I just called it Kim Cattrall in the Batcave. <laughs> yeah, the uh, <laughs> Kim Cattrall in the Batcave. Yeah, it's pretty much the, the same thing as the 89 Batman, right? Where Alfred leads her down for no reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, you know, it's like I'm going to go get a pizza. <laughs> Do you think... Around. Do you think he did that on purpose to let her poke around and was hoping that she would figure out who he is? Or do you think he was just more or less like, well, I got her in the apartment, so something's going to happen. Let's get some food. I think it's a little bit of both. His intuitions seem to be, you know, pretty good throughout. And he knows that she's kind of a nosy. And he was well, gone it's the a long time. Of her. Yeah, it's the nature of her work, though, is to try and find out more about people. And obviously, she's a people person, and she likes to know about someone's life. That's Mm -hmm. why she wants to be a social worker. She wants to help people. And she does ask if she can poke around, and he Mm -hmm. had to have known she was going to figure something out. Yeah, you know, she already talked about doing a profile on him from that mural. Yeah. Yeah, so I I think it was a calculated risk. One of two things were going to happen from her poking around in his apartment if she figures out that he's Turk. One, she's going to be charmed by it, and they're going to have sex. Or two, he's going to get sent to prison, and (laughs) either way, he's probably going to have sex. Different kind of yellow brick road. (laughs) Oh, no. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I haven't thought it through, so we won't won't divide it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to know what a yellow brick road would be in prison. (laughs) I don't want to find out. If anybody out there knows... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you should drop your email now to have them tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a show at psychosemanticpress.com. <laughs> but yeah, once she figures out who he is, and it doesn't take her very long, she pokes around in like an old chest or, or like a, they're using it as a coffee table, but it's like one of those old steamer trunks. And mm-hmm. she finds what? Is it, uh, it's like a trophy or, you know, some kind of commendation for Terry as a firefighter. Mm-hmm. And it says Terry Turk Lynch on it. And it plays and... some Irish song, it sounds like. <laughs> like Tura Lura Lura or something. Or, or, or what have you, yeah. And yeah. so she sees that, and she sees the word Turk, and she gets that like uh, that, that look on her face, like, huh, I wonder. <laughs> and then not even like three inches to where that, that Turk... Uh, <laughs> statue like tribute thing that he had or, or whatever like commendation trophy it is for terry not even like three inches away in that exact same steamer trunk or whatever it is is terry's badge and his badge number is 182 <laughs> <laughs> and as we said she's a well-educated lady i'm pretty sure she figured it out when she saw the turk part of it i mean it makes sense because she already knew that jimmy was the one who did the plastering in the mayor's office so 
I mean, I, I'm pretty sure she figured it out, but when she saw the badge, it just clenched it. She and wanted. Luckily, hmm? oh, go ahead. As I was say, she wanted to confirm it before she took the rest of her clothes off. Right, and luckily for uh, Jimmy, she responded by wanting to have sex with him mm. <laughs> for him being Turk. <laughs> Instead of the other where she wanted to send him to prison. But you kind of knew when she was at the game the way that she was cheering and, and really, I mean, she was really, really screaming Turk, like I, I, very enthusiastically. So she very much dug what was going on. And so after their whole coitus thing, she ends up trying to more or less talk him into leveraging this more than just being something to get back at the mayor and hurt him. I mean, yeah. she even says that he could be mayor if he wanted to. And obviously, Jimmy has no concern for that. He doesn't he can't solve other people's problems. He can barely hold himself together enough to get a job. Right. <laughs> That's not his thing. He just wants to help Terry. He just wants someone to, you know, to basically turn their mind or change their mind and not have people think that Terry did something wrong and have Terry be taken care of by medical people for his injuries. That's all he wants. Yeah. And when, and, when that's done, you know, uh, he'll pass the name dread pirate Roberts on to somebody else. <laughs> Good night, and, Wesley. Yeah. Good work. See you in the morning. <laughs> Most likely kill you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if only there were more Turk 182s out there. Yeah. <laughs> As you but wish. No. Yeah, but and that's that he pretty much after the last prank or is what he considers the last prank or that that tipping point that we were talking about in the in the stadium. He wants to turn himself in. And that's the, the decision they end up making where all he wants to do is help Terry. And that, since that's what he wants to do, the best way to do that is to tell the story, mm -hmm. because when it boils down to it, and I think that's why in a lot of cases talking about a movie or talking about a book or talking about a story about certain things, it helps people be able to put their guards down because it's just a movie or it's just a book or it's just a story and it's not reality. So that whenever you talk about these kind of things where a person gets hurt and they're not taken care of, they almost let their guard down and they actually let their empathy work. And then when you think about somebody like what happens to Terry, then you, you realize that there are actual people that have suffered this and you already have the empathy for somebody like Terry and logically the next jump in the, the step is to be well like if someone got hurt like this for real I would want to help them because I would want to help Terry now and that's where movies and books and stories enhance humanity because without it we would just automatically have our guards up where we're like oh that's just somebody looking for a handout well Yes, because they need that hand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's... And I'm I, I'm guilty of that myself, you know. I'm the one who has that knee-jerk reaction of, oh, no, no, they don't need that help. I'm not the one that's going to help them. No, no, you know. But, right. yeah, you can be that person, you know. You, you don't necessarily have to go out there and post memes all over the world and try and take down Trump by yourself by, you know... I don't know, creating a fake Twitter account maybe and using a VPN so that no one can track you or even a burner cell phone that, you know, isn't really yours that you bought on some prepaid credit card that can't be traced to you for yeah. whatever reason. And, you know, start tweeting pictures of Trump and his tiny hands at him every day and annoying him and hurting his thin skin. And, you know, yeah, I'm not saying anybody should do that. No, I'm not just saying, you know, that's. That's something that, like, uh, what Turk would do nowadays. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, theoretically. Now, 
theoretically, if someone were to want to start doing that, there are ways to do this kind of thing nowadays, and it's much easier and costs significantly less because you don't have to use spray paint. And you don't need your own <laughs> private Giacomo. <laughs> right. And also, I mean, if you think about it, too, this uh, this graffiti as not necessarily art, but like as a, a means to force people to see your message for social change. You have, was it, Banksy that did some of that stuff? And uh, is it Shepard Ferry who did the Obey Giant stuff? I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, but there are certain political messages and things along those lines that even graffiti artists do nowadays where they get people thinking, they get people talking about it, and they get people to see things because it's on this building. And while it can be removed and it can be painted over, it will take several days for that to happen, if not weeks, and sometimes months or years, yeah. which that's another route to go as well. You know, if you want to get a message out there, you can put it up somewhere and it may be taken down, but it will take weeks, it will take days, someone will get photographs of it, people will talk about it. Yeah, but while you may be destroying public property, at the same time, you are indelibly putting a mark in people's minds, at least for a certain amount of time. And if you change enough minds that way, if you get enough people to see these artifice clown-ass politicians for what they really are, money-grubbing bastards that are just cozying up to the plutocracy, there you go. <laughs> you have something <laughs> that you can do to fight back, and it costs you the like however much in spray paint cans or, you know, however long it takes you to Photoshop that meme or, or whatever, <laughs> you know, you have a way that you can get back. And you can't tell me that just because somebody puts up a picture that some political cartoonist did, like say in Sweden, the, the one that I love the most is Trump is a small baby with poop filled in his diapers, right? Oh, yeah. And he's, and he's crawling towards the American flag and he's pulling on it, but you see the rest of the world ready to tip over and he's basically his hands are covered in his own filth and that's all over the flag as well and that thumbs up pretty much what we can expect from his presidency right there oh, yeah. <laughs> he's going to be pulling on the american patriotism and nationalism until the whole world comes crashing down on his head and hopefully we'll all get to survive it but you take a picture like that and you start tweeting that you know at the real donald trump every day <laughs> you know from a <laughs> fake account you're effectively doing the same kind of thing to a thin-skinned politician that Turk does with <laughs> Tyler. And, you know, I'm saying Trump because he's the, the one that I have the most hackles up for because he's basically normalized these... Well, they want to call themselves alt-right, but they're fucking neo-Nazis. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're yeah. white nationalists. They're neo-Nazis. <clears throat> he's galvanized them. He has emboldened them, and he has almost normalized them in this country to where people think that they have a right to speak the kind of filth and hate speech that they have without well, yeah, they any can, repercussion right they they can say whatever the hell they want but it's up to the rest of us to poke up you know to, to poke that that bear and say no yeah. this will not stand this is not normal this is not how life should be you do not get to take us back to 1950s uh america you don't get to do that you're not making America great again in that way because it was great as it was before your kind came along and decided to actually resurface. <laughs> I'm waiting for somebody to make little black stickers that say when with a question mark and put them underneath every make America great again sticker. See, now that's another great idea. That's something that Jimmy Lynch would do. That's a Turk 182 thing to go. Or how, you know, like mm -hmm. how question. How? 
explain how, explain why, explain what, mm -hmm. or, you know, define great, you know, like make these people say what they actually want to say so that we can better understand what it is. If your definition of make America great again is let's bring back manufacturing. Okay, we can try that, but it's probably not going to work because most of those jobs are gone because of automation. A lot of that kind of factory work is not going to come back no matter what we do. And we can try tariffs. We can try a lot of that kind of stuff. But automation is killing more jobs for factory work than anything else. It, no, it, like those jobs in Indiana that the Trumpster fire saved. Quote, unquote, saved. <laughs> that extra money is going to go towards automation. Exactly, which is going to effectively end up destroying more jobs in the year long run. You know, the jobs that were saved, quote unquote, were always going to stay, and they just now have extra money to keep automation going, and it's supposed to be a win, but if you just dig a little deeper below, it's, again, I say the word artifice a lot, but that's all politicians have. They, mm -hmm. have. they have spit and polish and mirrors and, you know... For instance, Trump Towers, right? It's like particle board with gold lame paint. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not anything that people think it is. You know, it's the the emperor has no clothes. You know, it's really that. That's yeah. exactly what it is. And it's it's not just Trump. It's every single politician. You know, they they some of them may actually be good people who are effectively trying to make change, but they're getting shouted down by people like like Mayor Tyler. Mm -hmm. that are in the Senate, they're in the House, they're everywhere. And you just, you have to expose these people for who they are. You know, I mean, the ACLU does a great job of bringing up some of these points for, hey, this is what this politician had. They had like a rogues gallery, collect them all card of each of the Trump cabinet members and, mm -hmm. and what they've done and, you know, what, what makes them good and or bad. If okay. they've been sued by the ACLU yet. Right. Okay, we have those, but why don't we start making some as people who, you know, not necessarily, again, not politically correctness, but people who want to treat other people with respect. Why don't we champion the senators and the House of Representatives, the, the congressmen, the, the mayors, our local politicians, the people who are actually fighting to do good? Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, I mean, yes, we'll probably find some bad things about them, but, you know, I'll take it, you know, I'll take like... They did a couple of horrible things when they were younger, like with some coke and some hookers, sure. But now they're out there championing civil rights and trying to uphold gay marriage and trying to allow a woman to make her own choice with her own body. Like, let's start celebrating these people and trading these cards and saying, hey, look at this person. Right. Look at what they've done with their career. And, you know, we're going to have a lot of negative shit going on. But at the same mm. time, we can raise up all the positive people and get them visible. You know, yeah. uh, it, I'm a doom and gloom sufferer. I really am. But there's a, there's a way around it. You know, we can have our silver linings with all of these dark clouds if we just try. I'll take a worm in my apple if it's not coated in poison. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, you're the thing that drives people to be politicians, they're never going to be perfect people. All politicians are going to be deeply flawed, but all human beings are deeply flawed. But if we can find the ones that like, you know, even if it's just the cause you care about, you know, like for me, it's it's all about civil rights. It's all about, you know, I don't want my best friend here in Omaha to be told that his marriage is now illegitimate to his husband and it's not legally binding and they don't have any rights. They don't have all of the kind of privileges that I and my wife have just because we happen to be straight. 
you you can't control who you fall in love with. You can't control who you're sexually attracted to. And you should not be treated any differently because of how you were born. You know, that's that's my whole thing. And if I find a politician that says the exact same thing that I just said, maybe I should create a trading card like the ACLU did for the bad people and say, look what this person's trying to do. You know, maybe that's the memes we can just start doing as well. <laughs> yeah, instead you know? of collecting baseball cards and talk about your your favorite athlete, these are your favorite political athletes. Right. Instead of complaining about all the assholes that are horrible, let's start celebrating some of the ones that are good, too. And maybe that'll be the tipping point because we'll get people talking about them. Who knows? God, what's the horrible? I, I'm not expecting you to know. There's a horrible percentage of incumbents win just because people remember their name. No matter what horrible shit they did, Mitch McConnell. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Eddie Murphy did a whole movie about that. That's one that you should cover eventually, The Distinguished Gentleman. Oh, right. It's all name recognition. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, that's what yeah. we're talking about here. And, okay, that's another thing, too, like term limits. I mean, that's something we should definitely look into our Congress and our House of Representatives. Like, a lot of these same... They talk about draining the swamp as the big key thing that a lot of people are saying now. Mm. Well, the reason that the swamp is the swamp is because we keep throwing the same disease-infested water back into the pool. <laughs> you know, if you make it to where that same disease-infested water can't be put back in the pool, and then you have the shocking... Uh, when I say shock, I mean like what you would do with like chlorinating a pool where you throw the stuff in and it's like the peroxide stuff that uh, purifies it. You know, that's what you need to do is you make it to where you can't keep throwing the, the waste in there. You got to throw in the fresh water and you got to throw in the stuff that cleans it as well. Yeah. <laughs> Drag out the dead bodies that aren't doing shit. <laughs> Wait, I thought Strom Thurmond was done. I forgot about that guy. Uh it was the first person I thought of when you said dead body because that's like the first, you know, when you, you want to talk about politician and dead body, that's what I picture. Yeah. You know, when that guy was alive. Ugh. Yeah, he was <laughs> if, a replica if, from the Civil War. Something like that. Dana Carvey's impression, uh, impression was pretty great, though. <laughs> I think that's why I still remember that name. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Oh, God. Uh, well, okay, we're talking about Saturday Night Live. Look yeah. what Alec Baldwin's doing with Donald Trump, right, oh. on SNL. I mean, it's that's, amazing. that's a, it's a very Turk 180 thing, 82 thing to do. That's something that SNL has been doing since its inception. Yeah, it's tongue-in-cheek. Yes, they're making fun of the politicians, but at the same time, they're demystifying their quote-unquote greatness and bringing them down a peg and showing people how ridiculous they can actually be. Yeah. And it's you know perfect. he's only taken about a grand an episode to do that, too. Right. Yeah, it's it's very um, very motivated by his own personal politics why he's doing it. I would hope that he was donating that as well. Like he doesn't even take any money. He's just taking it so that they can they're contractually obligated to pay him or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then that money gets donated somewhere would be perfect. He's probably doing something crazy with it. Not bad crazy, but you know, hire a oh. skywriter. Oh man, that would be yeah, whatever we could do. But, yeah. Well, you couldn't do a skywriter over top of an inauguration because that person would probably get shot down in today's America, but... True. <laughs> but you could buy a lot of drones. <laughs> Again, something that would also get shot down, but still. <laughs> it would definitely be on the news and people would definitely be talking about it. You're not wrong there, you know? That would be something that would be brought to people's attention. But that's one thing I was wondering, um, and, you know, this might end up on the cutting room floor right here, but I think Trump wants everybody to watch the inauguration 
and I usually do, but I don't know if having nobody watch it would be great. Well, there's ways to see it now with time shifting and with also, let's just say piracy, mm-hmm. where you could watch it later if you really want to see what happens. It'll be on but, YouTube. Right, or, or you could watch it on YouTube or something to where you know he doesn't get the views that he wants. I would say the best route to go if you want to go against a particular politician is to not give them the attention that they want and to only give them the attention that they don't want. If he wants people to notice him for this or whatever he does with whatever insane tweets that he's using as a dictator style distraction and technique that he's been known to do um, where he won't talk directly to the news because he doesn't want them to be able to fact check him and, and, you know, report on him that way. He wants to talk directly to the people that buy into his shit, whether it's with videos he posts online himself or with Twitter, he doesn't want that intermediary media that is there to actually keep these politicians in check. He wants to circumvent that like any dictator. would. Yeah. And he's, Oh, I feel like he's almost single-handedly revitalizing the Washington post. Oh, he definitely is. Yeah. Because they're taking him on because there's a lot of people that want to take this guy down. They don't, they want to hold him in check. They it's, I think there's a whole sea of Hunter S. Thompson-style field reporters that are going to go gonzo mm-hmm. and are just going to go this direction. And I think the Washington Post may be snatching them up. Yeah, I mean, they. I think they just hired 70 new reporters this year. Oh, I think it was more than that. Was but it more than that? You know, it's, they, it's, it was 70, but I think I just saw somewhere that it's even more. And there's a lot more people going into journalism. There's a lot, lot more people looking at it's revitalized actual journalism because of what has happened with the fake news cycle. Mm-hmm. Now, while it may be too little too late, at least we have someone out there trying to do something to hold these people accountable for what they do. And we have rested on our laurels and we have had it too easy as a nation these last eight years because we've had one of the most dignified presidencies we could have possibly had. <laughs> now, I I don't agree with everything this man did. And I'm not going to say that he was a perfect human being because like all politicians, he's deeply flawed. Otherwise he wouldn't have become a politician. But at the same time, we had no scandals. We had no uh, mistresses, you know, It, it was the most dignified presidency you could have ever hoped for in that regard. The most we got was these like memes about how like Joe Biden and (laughs) President Obama are the <laughs> biggest bromance that's ever existed. You know, that's the most that, that people could really come up with. Besides a lot of the stuff, like we're not going to get into the drone strikes and all of that. Every president has pulled some underhanded shit. Like, yeah, they've all done it. You know, there's all this wartime stuff that you cannot agree with, which ideally we can't stop, but we can call them out on it. You know, uh, Trump is our generation's Nixon, I think. If he's going to be the equivalent of somebody. and Well, isn't he already in bed with Kissinger, which pretty much makes him this generation's <laughs> Nixon? Yeah. And when I say in bed, I mean literally in bed. I wouldn't be surprised if photos surface years later. Kissing Kissinger? <laughs> yeah. <Ugh>. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to gross you out that much. No, that's okay. I, I'll probably make a, a uh, photograph <laughs> of that later. <laughs> That's the best part about these public officials is because, like I said earlier, they can't control their public image and they can't, they have less recourse for the parody 
and the things that people say about them and the criticisms, they can't sue for defamation as easily as what other people can mm -hmm. because there is a level of protection where you're in public office, you're a public figure, you pretty much have to suck it up, buttercup. You're open to ridicule. Yeah, and I don't think that our thin-skinned, orange Cheeto, human garbage dump Trumpster fire realizes that that's going to happen, and I'm pretty sure that he's basically going to get hurt feelings and stormed off pretty much like Tyler did after the train showed up with graffiti. <laughs> the question is, is he going to hit the button and nuke us all as he's on his way out the office? Oh, it depends on how close the uh, target sites are from a Trump Towers. There is that. I mean, we, we talk, I mean, we, uh, we all talk about this and we all do dread the crazy shit that these people are about to do, but do we really think that politicians are going to actually overturn Roe versus Wade or force Roe versus Wade to fully be overturned? What are they going to fight for? What are they going to have to coddle the religious folks into voting for them if they don't have this thing to bicker over? They have to have these non-issues to distract us with from the real issues of income inequality and the the fact that we pay more for slower internet than most of the other places on the planet <laughs> and the way that we're all being screwed over in this country by these giant companies that own everything and run everything through the plutocracy. Like, they have to distract us somehow. So let's talk about women's rights versus the rights of someone who decides whether or not a fetus is actually a living being and they don't want it to be snuffed out, you know, because they don't want abortion to happen. They want to control all reproductive rights. It's a distraction technique. They're really not going to try and overturn Roe versus Wade. And you know what? Pence may not even really try to overturn the gay marriage and the upholding of gay marriage. And if he does, there's going to be people that will resist him on that, if not secretly, more covertly, because if they don't have that thing to complain about to bring in the religious right, they lose a lot of their base in the Republican Party. You have the main thing that the Republican Party and that what like these guys are really all about is maintaining the plutocracy. The only reason that gay marriage would possibly get overturned is because the insurance companies don't want to have to do the marriage coverage for that big of a population that they've never had to deal with before. Right. It's not even, I mean, you and I have had many conversations like this, but it's not even about religion. It's just being used as an excuse for yeah, yeah. greed. It's a, it's, a, it's a way to control people. It's a way to shift the conversation away from what really matters. The, trying to stop gay marriage from being upheld, if anything, would be special interest for the insurance companies and for death benefits and all of those kind of things. It really has... The politicians do not care about what defines marriage other than that it's about what legally contracts can be held between mm -hmm. two people or not they don't care about that if they really cared about that they would try and block when i guess the way around that in the old days was one person would adopt the other in that type of marriage for death benefits and things like that it's shameful that that has to happen but it's a way around it that that happened in the older days before gay marriage was upheld and was actually you know brought up to to equal rights you know, it's the same thing with, yeah, there was a big fuss over interracial marriage. There was a big fuss over that kind of stuff for politicians and everything back in the day because whatever racist reasons they might have had. But as soon as the companies stopped caring about that and the people who actually controlled the money really weren't that concerned about it, 
it stopped becoming an issue. And, you know, we were kind of over it. But they're, they're using it again as that artifice, that that distraction technique where they're stirring up, I mean, the, the nationalists, the white nationalists, the, the race-baiting stuff that's been going on in Trump's campaign, that's very mm. intentional. Mm -hmm. He intentionally, whether he believes this shit or not, he's intentionally not shouting them down because it's distracting people from what he's really trying to do with all of his conflicts of interest and all of his money grabbing. That's all he wants to do. He wants to leverage the presidency to force people to put more hotels and to put deals through so he can build more hotels and more buy up more land and just basically line his pocket. And I wouldn't be surprised if his, even in his presidency, if he just drops out <laughs> and he just he just resigns like within the first year, because if they f enforce this conflict of interest stuff and he has to even drop his companies, he may even not even get sworn in yeah. if he has to do it before he can get sworn in or if they go to impeach him right after he gets sworn in because he won't drop it. I'm sure that's why he stopped the press conference because he wants to leverage the power as shortly as he can and try and get all of that stuff done. He doesn't care about making changes. He doesn't care about America. He cares about his pocketbook. That's what he's doing. And he's yep. distracting everybody with all the other bullshit. Yeah, so many parallels with this movie. I think I can't thank you enough for picking this. <laughs> I seriously, when I picked it, I just wanted to talk about Turk 182, and I was like, "Hey, this this movie will be great." And then the lines got drawn while watching the movie. I watched it two or three times in prep for this because I didn't want to screw up your first episode. <laughs> <laughs> and the more I watched it, the more stuff I started seeing, the angrier I got. And this is why I'm exploding with all of this freaking black either at you. <laughs> no, this is great, man. I have no idea if anybody's gonna like it. But I like what's going on. I like what's well, going on. Well, when you lead with we're we're going to talk politics, we're going to talk movies, we're going to talk political movies. If people are like, hey, your podcast that's about political movies, politics and movies talks about too much political movies and politics. <laughs> what, what did they think was going to happen? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, at the very least, some of my good friends out there in the podcasting world that need to keep or try to keep politics out of their uh, their general eyeline can come on here and vent, and well, I'll have well, a yeah, good time. Well, yeah, I've gotten to I've gotten to use my soapbox that uh, I've had to put aside so many times on my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually stacked several of them up for this show, and I'm standing on top of them, screaming at the at the mountain. <laughs> Beautiful. I have no listeners to lose. <laughs> well. It's going to be a very niche podcast. You're going to you're going to attract a very a very hopefully loyal but small fan base that is going to look for this particular type of talk. I mean, you're going to hopefully you're going to be able to appeal to people who are into politics and movies just like you and I, you know. I know this is a podcast that I would have sought out even if you wouldn't have asked me help you get started or even be on the first show. <laughs> This is the exact kind of thing that I would have been looking for because you know what? It's a fresh idea. Oh, great, I, man. Thank you. There are politics podcasts out there. There are movie review shows out there. There's activism stuff out there, but nobody tries to mix it all up into a blender and make it this, you know? So. <laughs> well, you know, I uh, put in everything I'm into into one spot as much as I can because my time is scarce, sort of, raising that baby goat upstairs. <laughs> oh, that's it's got to be such a terrifying time to be a parent, man. Oh, for real, I just, dude. <laughs> I, 
I just have cats who I worry about on a constant basis, but they're animals. You have a little human being. In what world are we leaving for him? It's it's wild. I kind of feel worse for people whose kids are old enough to know what the hell's going on right now. Right. Yeah. Well, you know the uh, the people you know whose kids are coming home from school. You know, getting told that they're going to go back to Mexico or anything like that. You know, just all the or the. Or, or a bunch of people chanted, you know, build the wall at them in their school and the teachers did nothing during lunch to stop it. Yeah. Yeah. The emboldened bullies. And now we've got a bully president. With a bully and, cabinet and with a bully, bully Congress. Cabinet. Yeah. <laughs> so it's some bully, yeah. bully bullshit. <laughs> well, we just need to get some Turk 182s out there and I'm hoping that uh, <laughs> maybe... <laughs> Maybe maybe we've put enough ideas in enough heads to get enough people out there to realize that if they can't control their own image for the politicians, there's ways that we can take them down a peg, and it works beautifully. I mean, that's pretty much what Fox News has been trying to do with any kind of president that doesn't align with their worldview for yeah. decades now, or your Rush Limbaugh's, or even Glenn Beck before he decided he was a nut case and needed to come back from what he did. Like, if they can do that on their side and they can twist away that a politician is perceived and change it, then there's nothing to stop. However many people out there want to use a beautiful tool like the Internet. I mean, sure, net neutrality is probably going to go away and there's probably going to be ways that they're going to try and control how we get access to information and how we can lash out. But like I said, that's what VPNs were meant for. People look into them. <laughs> <laughs> You can and, hide your IP address, and they can't follow you online, and you can remove a whole lot of filters just by going through a VPN. And until there's no electricity, there is no way in hell the next presidency will allow there to be no internet because they want to lash out at people too. Well, somebody's got to get that asshole off of Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to well, get us all killed <laughs> just because he's going to tweet the wrong thing at the wrong time and the right leader with the right button and the right bomb is going to go... Ah, fuck it. I've been looking for an excuse. It's creepy, man. <laughs> it's just straight up creepy. Uh, I don't really have uh, anything else for the movie or, or any more politics before my blood pressure goes up enough for me to get a heart attack here. So, <laughs> uh, No, that's cool. Um, I think really all that's left to wrap up. I mean, we were talking about he wanted to tell his story. Everybody wants to tell their story, say why they're doing the crazy things they're doing. And, uh, you know, there's so many people trying to get that attention. And that was one of the things at first I thought that he was Turk 182. And I was really happy when I found out that he, he wasn't making it about himself. Right. And it wasn't even so much just about his brother. It was so much about just getting his brother enough help so that his brother can be healed. Mm -hmm. It's even more it's even more noble than just trying to get attention. It's lashing out at the system that won't help you my brother he's a fireman you know yeah so his name was Turk because his name is Turk because the guys in the firehouse they remind because he reminds him of a young Turk and uh, his badge number is 182 so that's my brother anyway he was hurt saving a little girl in a fire that's right yeah uh, while he was off duty he'd been drinking a little bit yeah we were drinking he was at Hoolies. That's where all the guys go when they wind down from a fire or whatever. 
Well, yeah, but lay hold it. He's not gonna. I mean, he's not. He's, he'd rather save a little girl, girl's life, than worry about some rule. You know, I mean, that's all it was. You know, he didn't ask for no medals, no bonuses, or headlines. Hey, I went everywhere. I went to the city. I went to the pension people. I went to the workmen's comp people. I went all over the place. The borough president. I even told the mayor about it. I run up to the mayor and I told him about <laughs> it. And we stopped on the street. All these reporters are gathered around. You know what he says to me? And the mayor said to me, he had no, no time to worry about a drunk. Tyler, you stink! Drunk. My brother. He called my brother a drunk, huh? Well, I'll tell you something. I'll tell you... My brother ain't no drunk. He's my blood. What are you talking about? You know, and, and, and his job is to save people, save people's lives. And, and I wanted everyone to know, you know, that, that, that Terry mattered. You know, and, 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 and he deserves to be treated better. I just wanted the mayor to know that Terry mattered. <laughs> I gotta go. Oh, Chris, let's go get him down from there. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you've got the gre the girders greased. and That's uh, that final thing where he's on the bridge and he's fashioning the letters. And it even comes to a head with uh, Peter Boyle's fascist big character that starts taking pot shots at a man who is just moving lights around. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's trying to kill him just out of his pure frustration and his own embarrassment and his own thin skin. And yeah. all Jimmy's doing is just refashioning Queensboro or whatever it was that was written on the bridge, 1980, whatever, to, or 18, whatever to 19, whatever into Turk 182. That's all he's doing. But because it's so embarrassing to this thin-skinned policeman who has been befuddled at every turn with what Jimmy's doing, he tries to kill him. Yeah. The, <laughs> the man does destruction of public property, blowing away the power supply to the lights on the bridge just because of the embarrassment. And he risks everyone's life around from ricochets and all of that because of thin-skinned embarrassment. And these are people that exist <laughs> they're yeah. out there oh you know? yeah we could probably do two hours on uh excessive force <laughs> no i'm not going there i've already i've already been tipping my hat enough by saying fascist pig <laughs> <laughs> excessive force is gonna have to be somebody else because i've mm. already got enough stuff out there on the internet where i'm talking bad about police <laughs> <laughs> but i do want to point out they're not all like that i even said that with darren mcgavin's character and defended him oh he's great he yeah. Right? <laughs> he does the we public need more... service. Right. And he's actually the one who stops the fascist from trying to murder the guy because he takes the forklift down. He figures out how to do it because he knows what the guy is doing is, is wrong. Yeah. And that's that's what it boils down to. There's a difference between duty and right and wrong. There's a difference between justice and right and wrong. What Jimmy's doing not necessarily is right, but it's significantly less wrong than what is being done to Terry and he had to do something to draw attention to it you yeah. know and I'm not saying the ends justify the means I think Jimmy pretty much should have to face not necessarily charges but there should be some kind of repercussion for a lot of the things that he did for the property that he destroyed right, obviously yeah. 
with his fame will get that all swept under the table. But at the end here, he's when he's on the bridge, he's he's uh, he's sacrificing himself because he knows there's nowhere else to go for him. There's nothing else he can do. He's already confessed to who he is and it's out there. Um, it's not going to help Terry. And he hasn't like he says right before he leaves to do it. He hasn't finished anything in his life. And this is how he's going to finish it. He's making himself the last example of something going against this governor or this mayor and embarrassing him. And everybody cheers and everybody in New York is happy and fucking Tyler just sends President Strickland to say, find him, (laughs) tell him we were behind him the whole time. Well, first he says we can enjoy our retirement. And then President Strickland says, what's this we shit white man? (laughs) <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, Tyler's a lot less white than you, you pale bastard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, this, that part just made me laugh. I wasn't sure if that was just a holdover from the script or if it was just like a impromptu saying, but it, it made me laugh. Yeah, it, but yeah, it was a funny line. Yeah, because he couldn't beat Turk, now he's going to try and hitch his wagon to him. And you get the feeling that this is going to have the major happy ending, that all of Terry's, not only are all of Terry's charges going to be dropped... All of Terry's medical bills are going to be covered. They're going to have money. They're going to be okay. The pension's going to come in. They're going to take care of him. And hopefully Terry will get the mental health that he needs to recover from obviously what is we could call post-traumatic stress, but that's, you know, they they, they obviously didn't really have the term then, but that's what he has from the incident. I mean, he had a very traumatic incident of being blown out the window, and then he has the post-depression of not being able to be a fireman anymore. And you want to hope that all of that stuff is happening, but the film leaves you hanging just like Jimmy at the end. You know, you don't really know. He's just finished his last piece and he's gotten the story out there and he's accomplished everything that he wants. Whether or not it's actually going to fix things, we don't know. We're left hanging. Things could go back to business as usual. I'd like to think that he's the thing that changed New York and that's when we actually got things that got cleaned up and things got better, but I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) More than likely, you know, Jimmy got dragged down. He got some charges trumped up against him, and he went on the talk show circuit to Donahue and all that other stuff, and they got money to take care of Terry, but he didn't really get made whole, and Tyler leveraged this saying, oh, I've been rooting for him the whole time, and wrote it right into re-election, and nothing really changed, but at the same time, maybe Terry finally got taken care of. Yeah, you know, maybe uh, maybe he's, uh, maybe Jimmy is a uh... Kim Cattrall's house husband, and he's painting murals, and she's out there making the big bucks like the social workers do. Or even even still, maybe uh, Jimmy sees what she does as something that he can do, and maybe he finally goes back to school and uses all of his ability to plan these elaborate hoaxes and heists and all this other stuff that he does. And, yeah. you know, because obviously he's very organized when he wants to be, and he's passionate about something. Maybe he gets his life together and becomes a social worker as well, and they start working together to make changes in life. Maybe he becomes a community organizer. Or perhaps he becomes the next Banksy and keeps doing what he's doing, only it becomes art, and then he gets money that way. Who knows? So, yeah, we're left hanging with some cheerful music, but that's sometimes misleading when it comes to Bob Clark. <laughs> yeah. Anyone anyone who's seen anything Bob Clark's done pretty much knows that you can never really be 100% sure what he's going to leave you with. You know. I'm looking at you, Black Christmas. <laughs> it's the strange thing about Bob Clark's career is because 
he's done a lot of different films that maybe were on like the periphery that you have seen. Like obviously with Christmas Story, mm-hmm. uh, you, you have a Black Christmas that a lot of people champion, you know, for being the first slasher or whatever you will. He also did the like I think he did at least the first Porky's movie, right? I mean, the yeah. man has had quite a career. That was the first and, time he worked with Kim Cattrall, I believe. And actually, if you look, the way that this film comes in, I mean, it's 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 after Porky's, it's after A Christmas Story, and he's got that a tour thing where he's bringing actors back because you got Darren McGavin from A Christmas Story, mm-hmm. Kim Cattrall from Porky's. You know, he's bringing people back in. And while you may not like a lot of the things from this man's career, there's definitely stuff, like I said, that's on the periphery that this man has done. And he's had one hell of a career. It goes all the way back to like, what, the late 60s, early 70s. Oh, yeah. When was (laughs) Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things? Uh, 72. Okay. I don't know that off the top of my head. I just pulled him up on IMDb to check. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this was... Oh, this is a great film. Was there anything you said you were kind of out of things that you wanted to talk about with this movie? Yeah, but I, I had think a couple things. If you've right got ahead. a little bit more time. Yeah, <clears throat> go right ahead. Well, uh, one of the things I noticed when I was watching it, and um, maybe you can elaborate on this a little bit for me, because it just sort of popped into my head to ask you, you said one of the films that you really, really fell in love with when you were younger and still to this day is Pump Up the Volume. Yes, absolutely. I was sort of getting a parallel vibe with this movie and Pump Up the Volume. I could totally see that. One's using his voice through illegal broadcasts and the other one's using visual art and graffiti and uh, multimedia stuff to get his message out. Yeah, you know, stirring up people, getting all the authority figures, trying to figure out who it is. And I just thought it was kind of cool that, you know, people sort of develop their styles of what they're into early. And it, you know, it expands and it changes. But uh, I just thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I think actually, that might be a movie that gets done, too. Yeah, pump up the volume, I think actually inspired a generation of podcasters <laughs> i yeah. think the i think just about anyone who records their voice and does what they do and puts it out there for people to hear whether they want to admit it or not i think it has a little bit to do with whether or not they saw pump up the volume at the right age and when you do catch it i mean shortly after i watched pump up the volume is i think i was probably 12 or maybe 13 the first time i saw it Mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out how to do the exact same thing. And then I realized, dude, you live in the middle of nowhere on a mountain. Ain't nobody going to hear you, but your neighbors and they're going to turn you in. <laughs> <laughs> so instead I started printing up my own, what you could call like a fanzine. It was like a one page sheet where I did like an editorial thing and I split it with like a couple other people and I started, you know, photocopying it at school and then handing it out to people and getting it around. And yeah, I got in trouble for it because you're not allowed to do that kind of thing in a public school, but (laughs) I did it anyway. And you tried to, you know, you would try and do things where you would bring attention to, I don't know, at the time it might've been the injustice of the pop machines being turned off, you know, during the day and not open until (laughs) after school hours. Who knows what the fuck a 12 year old or a 13 year old thinks is an injustice that he's going to fight against, you know, but there's that. <laughs> uh, little seeds make big trees, my friend. Yeah. Um, I have not that, that, um, 
that middle finger to authority I see behind your puppet facade has stuck with me, you know, and it probably has a lot to do with Turk 182 and how my perceptions of, you know, there's what people actually see and who people actually are behind these politicians are completely different. And I, I guess it did make me more dubious. And I'm pretty sure that pump up the volume sealed the deal on that. So, yeah, it's a great comparison. Yeah, I think, you know, <clears throat> as as you said, you kind of put the bug in my ear when I was on your wonderful show, Cinema PsyOps. Oh, it's um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you very much. It's You're too kind. But, you know, since this is my first episode and about 15 people are going to listen to it, unless a lot of people end up doing that and then somebody will be listening to this in about four years. You'd like, be you surprised. Know. You'd be surprised how many people go back and start from the beginning. It doesn't take very long, and it will get hit eventually. Everybody listens to everything. Yeah, you know, it like, does happen. Just a lot of really cool guys reminds me of a cool music scene, which is what I'm more used to. And it's kind of like pirate radio. And my dad had a pirate radio station in the '60s, and he used ah. to always tell me about it. He's sort of where you said you were not really very political. You know, growing uh Right. It's there on the periphery. I pay attention to the key moments, if you will, and just kind of keep an eye on what's going on. And I maybe get involved a little bit more locally with some things when I can, but mostly it's if I see anything where it's more or less personal freedoms and civil rights is mm -hmm. my big thing that, you know, whether or not this particular politician is a money grubbing bastard doesn't really matter to me because they're all money grubbing bastards to me. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> I like, you know, I, I sort of, I like the idea of, you know, more harness focus or else it's so overwhelming. You feel like you can't really do anything. Yeah. Because you're not going to change everything in the world. You can focus on one issue, one cause. And even if like what you were planning on doing with this show, where each movie brings up one particular topic and one particular cause or one particular thing that we want to focus on. And talk about even if that's all you do is you know week per week or month per month or however you're going to do your release schedule the main thing to do is just pick a schedule and stick with it and then if you ramp up from there or drop back from there just stick to whatever it is that you set that's one of the lessons i learned from bill at otc or even uh vince rotolo the the late great vince rotolo from the b movie cast is put out an episode on the regular whether it's once a week bi-weekly every month whatever but just let people know that say the first of every month they're going to get this or the 15th and the 31st or you know the the first day and the last day or whatever <laughs> it is you want to do your release schedule you know like whatever it's going to be you want to make sure that people know that they can go out there and fetch the feed and there's going to be a new episode for them on such and such a day or you know at such and such a time of month or, or whatever you know you want to make sure that they know that it's out there that's big yeah uh, you have yeah. to be reliable <laughs> Yeah, if, if you get, it's easy to get forgotten about if you're not around. Exactly. You just got to keep hammering it home. And, you know, the, and also if you stick to a set schedule and you keep doing the work, you get better. You, you know, I mean, you just keep getting better. You keep doing improvements. You keep learning what you're doing. And then before long, you get more obsessive over it and you think you're doing a horrible job. But you go back and listen to some of the stuff and you're like, oh, maybe it wasn't as bad. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, nobody likes their first episode. Most people don't get comfortable until like their 10th <laughs> or 12th <laughs> well, or you know. 25th for me, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
but you know, as long as you know that whatever you did at the time was the best work that you could put in at the time, and that's all you really need, and people will listen. You just have to give it time. You, it, the the worst part about podcasting is that you don't get the feedback that used to happen. You don't get the response that you used to get. You get a few people that will latch on and and will be supportive that are listeners and fans. But that comes over time. You just have to just keep chugging away and doing the work and focusing. What really helps and what helped with me is what you mentioned, the community. Uh, whenever podcasters reach out, the very first one that reached out to me was Gary from Cinema Beef. Mm. And he was just like, hey, you want to be on my show? What's your show like? Uh, where can I find it? You know, as soon as he saw me out there and, and saw me, you know, putting stuff on Facebook and Twitter, he reached out. And I purposely would reach out to shows that I liked and would start talking with them and just, you know, joining their groups and doing the networking thing and all of that, but not necessarily doing it to push my show, just kind of being a fan, you know, and mm. it's one of the things that I do love about this is the community because we do work together. We do help each other. And if each of us has an issue, we'll go to whoever it might be. That might be a particular expert on like, I'm not really a software recorder guy. So whenever you started wanting to go that route and needed help, that's, when I said, hey, you should talk to Ricky. I know he uses this stuff, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and he was more than happy to to help. And that's one of the beautiful things about this is it attracts a certain personality, a certain type of person and a community-minded person because that's what podcasts are. They're communities. It's building a community. And you mentioned how you had that with your your, your punk rock bands and that, that hardcore DIY mentality. And I come from that too, man. That's... You, you you learn to, you know, help each other out. You learn to give gas money, you know, or, or hey, your van's broken down. Well, ours is working and we're off for three days, so I'll drive you. You know, yeah. just feed me and pay for gas or whatever. You know, that, that sense of camaraderie and community and not necessarily it's us against the world, but it's we're in this together. And if we just help each other out, you know, our shows will grow together and we can be on each other's shows and let's just all be friends and it's a big freaking internet. There's plenty of people out there that listen to podcasts, you know? Yeah. So you're yeah. never, if you come across somebody that's like, they're not going to help you or they don't want to help promote your show, then they got other things going on that there's something wrong with them, you know? Because <laughs> if, if you're, if I'm on your show or you're on my show or we, you know, you end up with other podcasters that come on and help you out. I mean, they're getting their voice out there to some people that might check out your show that would probably never have heard of theirs, you know? Yeah. And you get this, you get this cross pollination and, it's like when Black Flag used to go touring and they would, uh, you know, go to all these different places and they would pick up other bands' tapes. They would pick up other bands' CDs or, or they would have these compilation records that people would have that, you know, would be put out. And they, they would just start selling all this stuff and they're cross-pollinated. Mm -hmm. Or when the Ramones would tour and they'd go through a city and right after they left, five bands would spring up, you know, <laughs> and the next time they go through, one of those five bands probably opened up for the Ramones, you know. That's a That's, great thing. Yeah, so... If if I get to play Johnny Appleseed for podcasting, dude, that's I'm happy. I've accomplished more than enough for what I wanted because more than just doing a show, I want to build a family, a community. You know, I, I want that. And just having you decide that you wanted to do a show, that's why I was so gung-ho. Like, what do you need? <laughs> yeah. What do I got to do? You've been unflappable. <laughs> we all need a little bit more of that. Yeah. So I'm almost I mean, off my take soapbox, care of each other. but yeah. <laughs> We got to take care of each other because, you know, the people, the higher ups aren't going to do it. They're not going to help us out. They're not here for us. We're here for each other. You know, if you're in the 
there's a hell of a lot more of us. And, you know, we can be a hell of a lot stronger if we just freaking, you know, when somebody's reaching out for a helping hand, man, fucking grab it, pick them up, <laughs> dust them off. You know, it, get, it takes five minutes, you know, do something to help somebody out. You know, it's really not a big deal. And everybody makes it out to be like this huge thing. But like, I mean, the grand total of time that I've spent helping you counting us recording tonight probably would be six hours of my life. Big deal. You know, and I've had such great interactions with you and it's been so much fun. You know, it's been been a blast. It's been so much more rewarding than like I could even describe, you know, like I made a new friend and I got a new show that I've helped get going. You know, that's that's amazing. (laughs) You know, (laughs) and it took me six hours, you know, and just answering a few questions or pointing you in the right direction of somebody that could help you when I couldn't. That's all you got to do, people. Just help in little ways, you know, and before long, man, you can actually make america great again (laughs) by the definition of us helping each other the way that we used to do the the civic minded way of being uh you know doing your civil service to just help your fellow man not necessarily going out and filling potholes for the county but you know (laughs) unless you know how to do that sort of thing right but if you're if your neighbor maybe needs to have their fucking porch fixed and they're too old and infirm to do it and it takes you two hours to drive in like a couple of nails and like stabilize something just fucking do it just help them you know yeah it's a pain in the ass but you'll feel better about yourself and they certainly will look at you a lot better you know it's community that's all we need to do that's that's it that's the big thing that i want everybody to take home from not only this episode but also the movie and everything that we've discussed if if I can get people to be interested in being a community again, even if it's local, national, or global, just help each other. That's it. That's all you got to do. That's fucking beautiful, man. That might be the ending. Wow. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better, and your voice is way sexier. (laughs) Thank you for that, because I was nearly in tears there. (laughs) (laughs) And this is why I want. This is why I'm really glad I came on your show because on my show I wouldn't be able to do that between all the dick and fart jokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and thank you so much for having me on your first episode. And I'm eternally grateful to actually help you get it launched off more than you you know because I meant everything that I said. <laughs> you know, uh, you you gotta you gotta build the community to make a change. Even if it starts small, you can make it something bigger over time. Well, thanks a lot, man. Um, is there anything else you want to plug before you go? I'm going to play your a promo for your show here. If you'd like to hear me make more dick and fart jokes and talk about mostly horror movies, but all sorts of movies as well, not necessarily always with a political slant like I did here, you can find me, uh, Court Psyops, on Facebook. You can reach me at Court underscore Psyop on Twitter. I'm also available through our download site. It's Podbean, so you can go cinemasyops.podbean.com to find our main show feed, or you can search us through iTunes. We're in Stitcher, and we're also in the Google Play store for music uh, for the podcasting section as well. We're out there. <laughs> it's very easy to find us. Even if you just do a Google search for Cinema Psyops, you're going to find one of our, our places to find our feed or you'll at least find our logo to where you can get pointed in the right direction. And I really mean it. It's it's a killer fucking show, dude. You're far too kind, but thank you. (laughs) Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia!
Cecilia. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. How peaceful it looks. Most effective, Your Majesty. Will you destroy this Earth? Destroy it utterly. Send Rick and Danny in Wool Rocket Ajax. So, just destroy it? That's what Ming said. Don't you ever listen? Well, there's no arguing with Ming. Hail Ming. Wait! You see those transmissions on the visual screen? Crow? Nightmare on Elm Street? Chud 2? Black Belt Jones? Nightbreed? What's a critter? Oh, I've seen those things. Flash? I guess we could wait a while before the destruction. Yeah, and watch the movies. And talk about them. The Helming Power Hour. Disobedience to Ming. For now. You can find us at Legion Podcasts. You can find us on Facebook. iTunes. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. At www. You know what? Just Google it for yourself. Just Google it, you bastages. Helming. Breaking two? Electric Boogaloo? Samurai Cop? Army of Darkness? Flash Dance? <laughs> <laughs> we might destroy the planet if it's Flash Dance. Usually, what I'm going to try to do is have a topic specific charity or organization of some sort. But I'm going to work on getting better at my research. But one thing that stood out was the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. It was created by Congress in 1992. It's a nonprofit. They award scholarships to fire service survivors, their spouses, their life partners, children, stepchildren. They're working on expanding the National Memorial Site in Emmitsburg, Maryland to create the first permanent national park honoring all firefighters. They seem pretty legit.
Their website is www.firehero.org. Until next time, take care of each other and remember to duck and cover. Thank you.